Let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And as you do so, just two quick announcements. And the appeal is the children's ministry, the vocation, the vacation Bible school, beginning on Wednesday to Saturday. They are appealing that you register your children, your nephews, your nieces, your dependents, but also those that are able to come through and assist the ministry in ministering to the children from Wednesday through to Saturday. The other has to do with uh, this uh, coming week next week, to do with the family conference. Those that appeal for foundation, and please let's do, let's do so and open up our homes uh, to those that are coming to attend the conference from outside of Lusaka and outside of the country that might be in need of accommodation. John chapter 12, I commence reading from verse 12 to verse 19. John chapter 12, verse 12, the Bible reads, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold your king is coming. Caught. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had, and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees say to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Amen. Continuing in our studies through the book of John, this morning we come to verse 12 through to verse 9 of chapter 12. The Jewish people had been looking for a Messiah. They were expecting a great military leader, one who was to overthrow all of their enemies and restore Israel to its former glory. They never expected to they never expected that the Messiah that was to come would be a carpenter. They never expected that would be one who possessed no weapons, no political power, no army. They never expected that their Messiah, the promised Messiah of the Bible, would actually die on the cross by the hands of their oppressors. 
And John continues to highlight certain events that stand out in the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ so that the audience and all of us may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ and doing so that we may believe. And so this is one of those portraits in the Gospel of John that John brings out to show us that Jesus is truly who he said he was. He was the promised Messiah. And so in chapter 12, John moves from the scene of the quiet dinner that was held in, in, in Bethany for, for the Lord Jesus Christ to the noisy public parade in Jerusalem. And this triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ in Jerusalem is recorded in all the, the, the four Gospels. And you, you do well to read and compare these accounts. And each of the Gospel writers is emphasizing an aspect of the Lord Jesus Christ's ministry on earth in line with their overall agenda as they write the Gospel. For John was to record those moments in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, as he says in chapter 21, that if he was to write everything that Jesus did, there would be no space in the whole world to contain what Jesus actually did. And so as he brings out these portraits, he shows us who truly Jesus Christ was. And in our passage this morning, we see beginning our passage, we find a reference to the next day. For context, we need to ask ourselves, or to quickly remind ourselves of what happened the previous day for John to begin a passage with the next day. The previous day was the day that Mary poured oil oil ointment upon Jesus Christ. And Judas condemned this act. And the Lord Jesus Christ rebuked him. The previous day was the day when large crowds were coming to see Lazarus, whom the Lord Jesus Christ had raised from the dead. The previous day was the day when the chief priests made up their minds that Lazarus need to be put to death as well. You recall in chapter 11 as we are concluding that the, the chief priest Caiaphas says to them that it is better that one man dies than the whole nation. But in chapter 12 we see that the Pharisees concluded that Lazarus needed to die as well. And so here we see John recording for us that there were these large crowds that were coming to see the Lord Jesus Christ. These large crowds that had gathered at the feast in Jerusalem. There was a smaller group coming from Bethany, and then this smaller group was joining into 
the large masses that had come to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so word was spreading fast about what the Lord Jesus Christ had done. And the fact that he had raised Lazarus from the dead, everyone wanted to see who this Jesus is. Everyone was hoping that at this point, Israel will be restored to its former glory. The triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, humanly speaking, may be referred to as the high point in the Gospels and also in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that here the masses acknowledge him as king. In the previous accounts recorded in the gospel, whenever Jesus did something, he would tell the masses not to report to the Pharisees or not to say anything. But on this occasion, the Lord Jesus Christ leaves the masses as they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this also records the last moments of our Lord Jesus Christ on earth. And as theologians would say, it was just days before he was crucified. And so in the mind and in the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ, time had come to fulfill and do that which his father had sent him to do to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. And so we see that even though this triumphal entry had gathered masses and masses were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. We see as we read the gospel or the gospels that in the grander scheme of things, the true high point in the history of the world and in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ had not yet come. Jesus had to die on the cross and be raised from the dead to confirm what the Father had said through his servants in the Old Testament that this, his Son will come the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and this was his mission. And so we see that the triumphal entry connects with all the events in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they culminate in him being nailed to the cross. And this morning I would like to draw your attention to the significance of this triumphal entry. The significance of the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. I know it is one of those familiar accounts, especially to those who are Bible students or those who've been through Sunday school. Apart from the birth and the death of Christ, this is one of those episodes in the life of Christ that is well known. But what was the significance? of the triumphal 
entry of the Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. The first thing we see is that this triumphal entry shows the commonly held concept or the commonly held false concepts of, uh, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. In this episode, we see these commonly wrong notions or false concepts about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that in verse 12 and 13. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. The significance of the triumphal entry is that it exposes the common false concepts about Christ. These false concepts continue even today. Our passage highlights that large crowd had come to the feast. Great multitudes were swarming into Jerusalem. And note several significant facts of this point. There was this great multitude that took branches of palm trees and went to meet the Lord Jesus Christ and crying out, Hosanna, the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now, in their minds, as they were quoting from Psalm 118 and verse 26, which is basically a messianic psalm, in their minds, the multitudes were saying to themselves, in light of the miracles that this man had done, and most notable miracle, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, they were saying to themselves that a man who had done these things, surely this is the one we've been waiting for, the King of Israel, the promised Messiah, one who's going to amass, as it were, the armies and conquer the enemies of Israel. And as they attribute to Christ, the messianic psalm. And they're saying, Hosanna, which simply means save now, or save, we pray. These people were looking for a military leader, a ruler who was going as it were to cause confusion or, or bring about rebellion against the authorities of the day. And as they picked palm branches, they were basically saying, signifying that you are the king you will have victory over our enemies. 
when you read extra biblical histories or materials, they show that raising of palm branches was done centuries before Christ was born. The palm trees were a symbol of victory and peace among the ancients, the ancient world. And it was also a token of gladness and rejoicing at receiving of a new king. And so this action was one that was known by the Jews. It was a token of victory. It was a token of saying peace has come. It was a token of gladness and rejoicing, saying finally a new king is here. They were a symbol of victory and triumph. Probably the equivalent in our day will be the raising of the national flag of a nation. When it stands and all the citizens of the country will identify themselves with the flag that is waving or that is raised high up in the air. And it was similar to the raising of the palm branches. The people were welcoming Jesus as a great conqueror, as a leader, and as a mighty deliverer. These were the false concepts of Christ that these people had. And it is similar even today. Many have the false concept of Christ. Many look at the Lord Jesus Christ simply as some, some Father Christmas as it were. One who simply brings good things to them. Many individuals today simply think of Jesus as an earthly savior. One who is to bring some kind of utopia on this earth. One who brings this perfect idea of the political, moral aspects of life on earth. They simply think of him as his earthly savior. Many today simply think of Jesus as this mighty conqueror. One who is going to level the problems of life on earth by overcoming the enemies of mankind and making things level. Yet many simply think of Christ as a provider. One who is to, to feed and give health and success. One who is to bless mankind with good things of this life. Many think of Christ as the, the lenient, passive Lord. The one who accepts man regardless of his sins and simply make him a bit religious. 
and allow him to live a basic, upright life. They simply look at Christ as one who is lenient with them. One who winks at their sins. Many desire to be free, but to be free on this earth so that they can go about doing that which they please. These false concepts of Christ simply shows us that this is a Christ not of the Bible but of their own creation. Because many think of coming to Christ to, to receive material blessings and forget that what the Bible says that the blessings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ are spiritual blessings. Therefore, these blessings of God are bound to be spiritual blessings and spiritual blessings are inward and not outward. Many simply think of Christ as one who brings all the material desires of their lives. Many begin with Christ to simply give them a decent living while here on earth. But the scriptures are clear. The blessings of Christ are spiritual. They are eternal and not temporal. The spiritual blessings are on, that Christ offers are only found in him. He came to this world died on the cross so that when we come to him in forgiveness of sin, we may experience the peace that he offers. And that peace reconciles us to his father who was offended by our sin. And these blessings that Christ gives are spiritual blessings. And yes, they can be enjoyed here while on earth and they will ultimately be enjoyed in his presence. Oh, heavenly blessings are Christ. He is the Lord and possessor of all these blessings. And therefore, if a person is to experience the spiritual blessings that Christ offers, he must be in Christ. And so we see in the chantings of this group, this false commonly held concept concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. As simply a mighty deliverer, a mighty conqueror, an earthly savior, a lenient, passive savior. And hence we see this multitude coming up with their own criteria of the kind of Messiah they wanted. 
And that's not the true concept of who Christ is. But the second thing we see is that this triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem brings out the true concepts about Christ. It doesn't just show or exposes the, the commonly held false concept about Christ. It also brings out the true concept of Christ. Verse 14 through to verse 15. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's cot. And what we see in those verses recorded for us is as Jesus perfectly fulfilled messianic prophecy, he fulfills it regardless of your level of comprehension of these truths. He did fulfill what was written concerning him. And John from the onset tells us that a prophecy is being fulfilled here. He says, just as it is written, and he is referring to something that was said in the Old Testament. And he quotes from Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Any Jew would see the similarities of what was happening and what was reported by the prophet, the prophet Zechariah. And it says, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's cot. And so we see from that account recorded for us by John, that as the Lord Jesus Christ was entering Jerusalem, sitting on a donkey, he was sending the message that is the Messiah, the ruler, who's come in peace, not to conquer the, the, the nations in military warfare, but to conquer the nation in peace, not mounting on a warrior's horse, but coming on a donkey which was a symbol of peace. The full account in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 reads, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coat, the fall of a donkey. And what John is recording for us is that the Lord Jesus Christ, who knew his father's mission, followed the details laid before him by the father. And as he did that, he wanted his followers and all of us, when we read the scriptures, that we should not be mistaken concerning who Jesus Christ is. 
That as we see the similarities of what God had said way back in the Old Testament concerning this Messiah, that we may see the details recorded in the Gospels pointing us back to this promised Messiah, this humble Messiah who comes riding on a donkey. These details does not leave men with an excuse concerning Jesus Christ. God is communicating to all of us concerning his son so that the people of Jerusalem and all of us will be left without an excuse concerning Jesus Christ. The donkey was a symbol of peace in the ancient world. Kings and their representatives used donkeys in ancient worlds when they entered into a city in peace. They would ride on a donkey to symbolize their peaceful intentions that they've come to this town not to overthrow it, but in peace. And this is a message that the Lord Jesus Christ was sending. And this is the message Christ is sending. Jesus came to bring peace. And this was a dramatically different message he was sending from what they were used to. The kings and the leaders of those days when they were about to conquer a city, or when they conquered a city, they would come riding a horse. And they would show that they've come for war and not for peace. They would enter a city as conquerors on a stallion, which would send this message to the inhabitants of that city that you've now been conquered. And in this case, the Lord Jesus Christ rides the donkey. In fact, we're told a young donkey. It wasn't spectacular, humanly speaking, but it was a message that Zechariah had said years before that your Messiah will come humble and mounted on a donkey. And this same John, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 19, verse 11 following, he pictures now Christ coming, this time not on a donkey, but on a white horse. And John is saying a day is coming when the Messiah will return to this earth. And as he returns to this earth, he will now return as a conqueror on his battle horse. And this time he will come to put an end to his enemies, to defeat the enemies, to defeat the devil. And all his followers... He'll come riding a white horse. But here, the message John is saying is that he came to bring peace. 
But also see that the donkey symbolized service. It was an animal, a noble animal, that was used for service to men. It was used to carry their burdens. It was used to transport their goods. And here the Lord Jesus Christ is being pictured. As he comes upon this donkey, this young donkey, symbolizing that he came to save men. He came to bear their burdens. He came so that they might find rest and rest in him. This donkey symbolized sacredness. We are told in the other gospel accounts, particularly in in Mark chapter 11 and verse 2, that this was a young donkey on which no one had ridden before. It was set apart for this sacred purpose. No one had sat on it. It was set apart. And when you read in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 3, Numbers chapter 19 and verse 2, there we see that the animals and things that were used for religious purposes in the temple worship were set apart for that purpose, were not to be used for any other purpose apart from the purpose they were set apart for. And so we can see the parallel here. This young donkey, no one had ever sat on it. No one had ever ridden on it. And now Christ goes and instructs his followers to bring that young donkey for this particular purpose. And as he's riding and entering into Jerusalem, he's communicating to them that I've come for this sacred purpose. I came that you might have peace and find this sacred hope in me. It pictured for everyone that Jesus was deliberately taking every precaution to proclaim that he was the sacred hope for the world. The promised Messiah, the Savior of the world, has come into this world and the people were given a fine another opportunity to see King Jesus as reported by the prophets of old and as Jesus was riding on this young donkey he demonstrated to the people present and to all of us, that he was the Messiah. He was proclaiming to be the king, the promised king, the savior of the world, the son of God. Humble, mounted on a young donkey, bringing peace to the world but was also communicating 
that he was not coming as the conquering king. His mission was not to lead an army and fight the Roman authorities. He was coming as the savior of peace. And you remember when he was born, Luke records for us that the angels sang and said, Peace on earth! And this is what Christ is communicating. He came that there might be peace. He came to show men that God is the God of love, the God of reconciliation, and God can be reconciled to you in me. The Savior of the world. But also this triumphal entry is Christ sending a message to those present and to all of us, warning us about formulating wrong concepts of the Messiah. He was challenging them, he's challenging us that we must have the right concept of who the Messiah is. He did not come to be a national hero. He did not come to save us physically and provide us with material blessings. He came as a king of peace to save the world spiritually and eternally. Spiritual and eternal salvation must occur faced. Then he will return to bring peace to the earth and national salvation as it were. He had to come first as the, the prince of peace. The king of peace. Before he finally comes as the king of conquest. As the book of Revelation tells us. But he had to come as a king of peace, so that his peace, which surpasses all understanding, can conquer your heart and bring you to the point to see your need of this peace and be reconciled to God. But don't forget that he's coming the second time. This time not to bring peace, but to put an end to the rebellion of mankind. This is a true concept of who Christ is. Has this true biblical concept of Christ caused you to see the need of this peace that he brings? This inner peace this peace that brings reconciliation between you and God. This is the significance, the importance, the implication of this triumphal entry of Christ to say to all of us that this is who I am, the promised Messiah, the one who came to fulfill all prophecy and to eventually willingly Give my life for the salvation of many.
Do you know this peace that Christ gives? And thirdly and quickly, we see in the third place that the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem highlights the common reactions of the world to Christ. The common reactions of the world to Christ. Verse 16 through to verse 19. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The, the reaction of these different groups highlights the common reaction of human beings to Christ. John records for us the reactions of the disciples. The reaction of the Pharisees and the masses. And for the disciples, these that have been following Christ and they had seen him perform miracles, bring Lazarus from the dead. John tells us that they still did not understand these things. They simply did not grasp the true meaning of what was happening. They did not understand that Jesus was truly the promised Messiah. And all these things that were done in their midst was to help them see what Christ had been telling them and what the prophet of old had been saying. Still, his disciples did not understand or grasp these things. But John records for us now, when Christ was raised from the dead and was seated at the right hand of the Father, and he gave them his Holy Spirit, then he, they remembered. God the Holy Spirit brought to remembrance the things Christ had been teaching them. And they saw that this is what was written about him. And the reaction of the disciples is too common even to us today as Christians. Many of us simply fail to grasp what the Bible says about Christ. There are times when we find ourselves in confusing situations, when we find ourselves in difficult moments, we begin to doubt whether what Christ has said will truly come to pass. Even when he says that you are his and is interceding for you before his father's throne, we still fail to grasp these things. But thanks be to God the Holy Spirit who constantly brings to remembrance the truth of his word. But the next reaction is that of the the multitudes, the people's reaction. When you read verse 17 through to verse 18, 
Many of them were simply sightseers. They simply came wanting to be where the action was. They did not want to miss out in what was happening in case he brings to life another person who, who was dead. In case he performs another miracle. So for them, it was simply about the excitement, this sensual excitement, the spectacular. They wanted to see what is it that is going to do next. They were not interested in him. They were not interested in the salvation that he brings. They were simply interested in the excitement that his miracles would bring. Isn't it just so common even today? That people are just excited to see when they are promised that miracles will be happening. They are not interested in the God of miracles. They are simply interested in the excitement. They don't want to be left out. And so every day, Masses are being promised miracles. Extraordinary happenings. And they swarm to such events. Even when these miracles are not happening, the, the next day they'll continue to swarm or to swim to such events. Hoping against hope that some action will happen. And this was true about these multitudes. The crowd had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb. And he says the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. And so they were now wondering, what next? What next? And the third reaction is that of the religious leaders, the Pharisees. Their, their reaction was that of despair and rage. So the Pharisees say to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. These were religious leaders who, seeing what was happening, should have been able to connect what the prophet Zechariah had said. They should have been able to connect what the prophet had said about the Messiah. They were also waiting for the promised Messiah. And the Messiah was in their midst. Yet the reaction was that of despair and rage. That this, the whole world is going after him. We are losing popularity. We must do something. And their despair and rage moved them to cry out with the masses Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. The promised Messiah. 
was put to the cross. Because instead of the religious leaders rejoicing that God had finally fulfilled his promise, they are full of despair and rage. But I asked you this morning, what is your reaction to the, the biblical concepts of Christ? What is your reaction, I asked this morning? Are you filled with rage about this Savior who demands that you give him your all? Are you filled with despair that if you give your life, if you surrender your life to the Prince of Peace, you have no control of your life? Or you are one of those who constantly are chasing after some action, some excitement? Miracles in and of themselves will not turn your heart of stone into the heart of flesh. These multitudes saw Lazarus being brought from the dead. And instead of falling on the feet of Christ in faith and in repentance, they were looking for more. More action. More people to be brought from the dead. What you need is not miracles. It's the grace of God. To melt that heart of stone and to bring you to salvation. Men are not saved by miracles, but by the grace of God. And regardless of your reaction this morning, Jesus perfectly fulfilled all the messianic prophecy has recorded in the scriptures. He perfectly fulfilled them. And his call to you, his see, have come in peace to conquer your heart. But I will not always be the king of peace. I'm also the king of conquest. A time is coming when I will marshal all the angelic beings at the call of my voice and you come and return this time as a warrior a conqueror, a mighty king, to put an end to that rebellion that has rejected my offer of peace. Every year during Easter, around the world, religious people celebrate what is what was Palm Sunday carrying branches and, and walking the streets, yet missing the significance of the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem.
they go into all kinds of trouble to put up the display, but they miss the message of Christ in that account. He was saying he's the king of peace, one who's come to carry your burdens, one who's come to deal with the problem of sin. And that problem of sin was dealt with on the cross when the Son of God took upon himself and absorbed in himself the sins of the world. He paid the price. He atoned for your sins. And that was the turning point in the whole of history. God came into this world and died on the cross so that human beings can now be reconciled to God. And what will be your turning point in your life to come to Christ? The significance of the triumphal entry is to cause you to see your desperate need of this king. This king who comes riding on a young donkey. Not on a horse, not on a stallion. Not displaying any splendor around himself. But humble and bringing peace to you. You may not fully understand or comprehend all the details, but this is what he wants you to know. He came that you might have peace. And this peace can only be, can only be yours if you turn away from sin today. The hymn will be singing in closing. The hymn writer, as he looks at what the Bible says about Christ, he says this, I cannot tell why he whom angels worship should actually leave all these realms of heaven and come to this earth and be born of a virgin. He said, by this I know, he heals the brokenhearted. He comes our sin and he lifts the burden from the heavy laden. He is the savior of the world. And then he says, I don't know how the nations will worship or how the, the, the king will claim his earthly heritage. But this I know, the skies will be thrilled with rapture. will be thrilled with his glory and myriads, myriads of human voices will sing. At last, the Savior, Savior of the world is here. Will your voice be among those mirrored voices that will sing in rejoicing? Because Hosanna, the King, is finally here. Or you'll be one of those that will be saying, calling upon the mountains, as the scripture says, to cover you from he who is coming 
the savior of the world. Oh, that the significance of the triumphant entry may bring you in faith and in repentance to this King, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.